Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast and welcome back to another look at all of the Irish tennis action around the world over the last two weeks and in particular all the action in the US college tennis system. Now before we get into this week's updates with Mark Finnegan on all the college action you may have noticed that this episode is a little bit longer than usual and that's because as well as talking to Mark I've also caught up with Dave Mullins who is very heavily involved in the US college tennis system. He's another former guest on the podcast. So if you do want to learn a bit more about Dave or about Mark, who, who's also been on, on, on the podcast, do listen back to, to learn a lot more about them. But I've been talking to Dave and getting a little bit of context for the, the college tennis season, the structure of the season, the structure of the competitions throughout the year. And, and there's a few questions that I had on my mind about the, the US college tennis system. I, I I talked to Dave and he gave some some really good answers. So I'd really encourage you if you do have any questions or anything more you'd like to know about the US college tennis system to listen to that. Uh, starts about around the 21 minute mark of this episode. So do stick around to listen to that. And now let's get into the updates with Mark and then Dave. Here we go. Well, firstly, just just welcome back. Um, how how are things with you? Very good, very good. Yeah, it's been uh, quite two weeks, but uh, hasn't been quite uh, over in the states. I'll tell you that this time of the year is is spring break time, and a lot of tennis matches have been played in the last two weeks. So excited to give you guys an update on what's been going on. Yeah, let's jump into it. We're gonna we're gonna start with the the guys this week. So, what updates do you have for for some of the guys playing the last couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start off and, and we'll kind of mix them up again with the Division One, Division Two, and NAIA players. But uh, we'll start again with Thomas Brennan. Thomas has continued to perform very well. He's been playing a two in the lineup still, mostly for Butler, and has played, they haven't played a, they played a ton of matches lately, but still only about six total matches with a record of three and three. But Thomas has actually won his last three singles in a row, which has been great at the two spot. Oshin Shafri's team, still tough record at three and eight. But he, again, finding good form at this time of the year. He's won his last two matches um, at the number two singles position against Portland and Portland State. So that's great to see him winning at the top of the lineup. Never easy. And then moving on to, to D2, uh, Coker College, Sean Keane. Sean's team, again, having a tough year, same, similar to Oshin's. Uh, they're off a two and eight start. But Sean actually leads the team with singles and doubles victories. So that means he's got winning records and he's the team uh, leader with, with singles and doubles wins. So that's very good for Sean, personally. Matthew Saunders' team, 5-5 five and five record right now at the moment in D2 at Tiffin University. Matthew's been playing a little bit at number six in the lineup and has won his last few matches in a row. So it's good to see Matthew finding some good form. Great to see Mark Griffin back in the lineup again. It seems like their team is back to a full strength six players in the lineup. As a result, it seems like they're starting to win again. And their overall team record right now currently stands at 11 and 8. And Mark has been playing back in that three spot in the singles position and has won his last three matches. Keen McDonald continues to show some great form for North Dakota. They were down south for spring break. They played a couple of teams outdoors, which is always tough for them. And he's been playing at the number three single spot and has been up to number one in the doubles lineup now. Uh, singles record is at seven and two right now at the moment and was named, I think, a second time player of the week in their conference. That's a really big reward for him. Um, so well done, Keen. Mort Stens are finally getting some tennis played down in Rollins College the last couple of weeks. They've had a few postponements and, and hadn't started their season. They've played a couple of highly ranked Division II universities. And Moritz has played at the number six spot 
the team is currently 0-2, hasn't had one of those wins against those ranked Division II universities. Cole Buller's team have clawed their way back to an 8-7 record in, with Gardner-Webb University. Cole actually dropped out of that singles lineup at the moment, but the team is finding some good form. And I think they've won their last three in a row and have actually won two, I think, or three in conference already. Uh, Christian Duffy, poor, poor guy. They had tons of matches postponed in the last couple of weeks in Stonehill College. Again, in the Northeast, the, the part of the country is probably having the most difficult time starting. He has basically not played a match this year, and it's not looking good that they maybe won't play for a while. Down south there in Division Two, Davido uh, Davi at Limestone College. Again, good showing from him. His team is five and three team record. He actually played uh, Carl Butler's Gardner-Webb. And Dobby had a great win against Gardner-Webb at the number two position. And he's won his last four matches in a row. And his brother's playing currently at number five position. And they're playing doubles together. So Dobby's having a very good season, it looks like, there. And um, beating a number two, at the number two position, beating a Division One team with Gardner-Webb. Fergus O'Rourke's looking pretty good again at Spring Hill College, playing some good tennis. Team is struggling, two and seven. Fergus is playing at two in the lineup. They played um, two big heavyweights in Division Two, uh, University of West Florida, who's won several national championships, and Auburn University Montgomery, which has also won several national championships in NAIA, but are now Division II. Fergus has been very competitive, losing a 10-point tiebreaker to West Florida and a tough two-set match against AUM. So it's good to see him. He's playing number two in the lineup. Morgan Lowen, still haven't seen him in the lineup for Iowa. Iowa's team record is 4-7, and seven, playing an extremely tough schedule. And so hopefully, at some stage, Morgan might get to play a couple of matches in Iowa's last year. Don't know what's going on with Philip Lynch. Sacred Heart are having a tough, tough year. They're 0-6 right now. Philip was playing number two, but don't see him at number one in the doubles lineup, but have not seen him at all in there lately. They actually played uh, Jonathan Garcia's team, which is Mary Mack University, and Mary Mack were actually to win that match 4-3 in, in a really tight one, but I still haven't seen Philip, so hopefully everything's okay with Philip. Neil O'Connor continues to enjoy being at his new university, Coastal Carolina. Their record right now at the moment is... Uh, four and two. Neil in his last match played a number five singles in their win against College of Charleston and played three doubles. Charlie Barry still hasn't seen action for Tulane in, in a while, but Tulane have been having a monster season. Wins over LSU, Auburn and Memphis in the last couple of weeks has put their record at 10 and five. They're looking really good to be one of the top teams in the country this year. Again, there we spoke with Jonathan Garcia's Mary Mack, who played, who played Sacred Heart. A new Division One university, Mary Mack is. Their record is two and four right now at the moment. Jonathan's been playing number three singles for them. Finley McFadden, who we spoke about last week, his record is right now at the moment is two and one in singles, two and four in the doubles lineup at number three position. Team is currently ranked, uh, sorry, team is, is currently five and four record, but haven't seen Finley in the lineup recently. So that's uh, pretty much all the guys, Adam, for, for this week. Yeah, it's great to hear. Obviously, you mentioned a couple of those matches between different colleges that have Irish players. And I think it's great to see when the Irish players get to play each other's teams. And it really just shows how much there is going on for the Irish players. I think that's great. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I was talking to and, um, uh, one, of the, one of the players who actually played another Irish team was like, you know, did you get a chance to chat to them much and, and get to catch up? And, and you know, it's, it's crazy with this year. It's, it's like they said, Mark, you know what? It just was, it was really, really hard because you know, we're so segregated during the match time from the start to the finish because we've got so many protocols of COVID-19 that they really haven't had had much of a chance apart from just a quick, how are you, how, how's it going, you know? So it really is a really unique year. And they've and what I think they've done a really good job in America is is 
of making sure that they're able to place tennis safely and keep this college season going and play lots of matches. And so it'd be nice to see us take that approach here on, on April 4th or April 5th with our government, making sure that they, they get us back playing some sport in a safe way because, uh, you know, the rest of the world is playing tennis. Um, I actually shared something there about on Tennis Europe's website showing that 40, I think 41 or 42 out of the 50 countries in Europe right now are playing some form of tennis inside or outside, mostly outside. So fingers crossed for that, Adam. Yes, fingers crossed. And then also just on what you were saying, it's great for, for Keen McDonald to be having, and he, he's only first year, and for him to be having uh, such, such a great year is, is brilliant to see as well. Oh, he just seems like he's thriving. He's going from strength to strength. He's moving up at the lineup, and he when he moves up in the lineup, he's still managing to win. Going outdoors to play outside uh, during spring break for them is is a really big deal because mostly they're indoors in, in the more faster faster courts. So it was still great to see he beat a good Southern Miss number three player. Um, so that was good to see him uh, continue in that good form. And then moving up to number one doubles, doubles lineup has been great for him too as well. So I think the coaches do a great job there at University of North Dakota. I'm really excited actually for Dylan Lehman's going to be joining him there in, in January 2022. Uh, and Dylan's a fierce competitor too as well. So that would be great for him. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and now just to move on to, to some of the girls, um, I guess to start with, with the, the West, what, what action has been going on over there? Okay, so yeah, so we actually had a rematch in the West here between the Seoul and Lolo Lida. They actually played the same Utah State that Sarah Ryan plays for again. So it was a rematch this time at uh, Idaho State. And uh, this time Utah State took the win. So they got a bit of revenge, but good news for all the Irish players there. Lola is, is off to a great start. We talked about last uh, time out. She's seven and two in singles right now, and they're seven and one in doubles. And I think they've moved up to number two in the doubles lineup. They won their doubles match against Zara at number two position, I believe, or number three position. But Zara won her singles at number two position. And then Lola won her singles, but Saul did not win her singles against Utah State. So Utah State have been doing pretty good. Their record is... Well, Zara's record is seven and three at number two singles, which is a really, really good, really good record. So it's great to see her doing so well. And then as I said, Saul's record, I think is right now is about four and three at the number four position. So all those three girls doing really well. Shauna Heffernan currently playing right now, number five position. Um, her singles record is five and three in singles and an impressive two and six, uh, six and two in doubles uh, at the number one spot. So it's been great to see her thriving in doubles. It seems like she's getting a bit more form there. I think she's won two or three in a row in singles now. So, and then Sophia Durvin, Durvin's team, they've had a little bit of a roadblock here. They've started conference schedule. They've had a very tough uh, last four opponents uh, playing UCLA, USC. Sophia's still impressive with a seven and two singles record. And basically the team is still riding a great win over Cal Berkeley, which is, is, was number 12 in the nation at that time. But uh, they've actually lost their last four against USC, UCLA. Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but all those top, top, top Pac-12 teams. Sean and Casey, great to see her get her first win in singles and doubles. And the team got their first win of the season. Cara Courtney, I see her back in the lineup again. She's grinding on the number six singles and number three doubles again. Hopefully her, she's doing okay with her body and her injuries. But it seems like she's, she's hustling as best she can. The record is six and two as the team there. So San Francisco are doing pretty well. And that right there is for, for out West. Great. And it is great to see, as you say, uh, Cara's still playing and, and kind of fighting through the, with the injuries she has. But um, to move on to, on to the South, um, I know that among others, we have, we have Georgia Drummy. So what, what updates do we have for, for those players? 
Yeah, so Georgia Drummy at Duke has played, it seems like they've played a ton of matches lately. Their record is 10 and 3 right now at the moment. Now, they've had some good, uh, they had a rematch there with Georgia Tech. Uh, I know earlier on in the year, they lost a really tight one. Georgia Tech took this one again from them. And then they had a couple of wins over some of their conference opponents. But then they played a very good University of North Carolina Chapel Hill team and did not get the win there. Did not see Georgia in the lineup for that match, but she's played in some of the other matches. Um, her record is still at the number two position is nine and two. And she's ranked 29 in the nation currently, which is a very, very high national ranking. So, and that's really great to see her doing so good as an individual. And the team continues to excel. And they'll be they'll be in the hunt for at, at least a quarterfinal, maybe appearance in the NCAA tournament this year, you'd, you'd think so. Uh, Jessica Lehman, Presbyterian. Jessica's found some good form. I know the last time we talked on the podcast, it seems like she's continued that good form. Team is still struggling at a three and 10 but she's moving up into three in the lineup like we talked about last week. She's actually on a currently on a three-match win streak, including a great win over Marshall. Ali O'Dee's team is having a great season. They're 10-3 and three right now as a team. Her record, Ali, has been doing very good in doubles, 7-3 and three in doubles, mostly at the two position. I didn't see her in the singles lineup this week, but before that, she'd been playing at the number six position in the lineup in singles. Anna Botel's team is having an incredible year too as well. They're rivaling Julie, uh, Julie Burns' team for, for a phenomenal year. They're undefeated at home, I think, at 8 or 9 and 0, and they're an impressive 10 and 2 overall team record. And, her last, and, and she's undefeated in her last six matches, and she's now actually playing in the number three position. So she's, she's playing some really good tennis at the moment. So uh, well done, Anna. So yeah, so Adam, we can move on to then to the Northeast and the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so and then we got Emily O'Donovan. The great to see again one or two more matches played. Again, that Northeast region just seems to be just playing far less tennis than the rest of America. Team is 0-3, lost her team last match against St. John's in New York City. Emily's been playing the five singles and three doubles. Ellie Murphy's team for again in, in the Midwest, Iowa State, having an historic uh, season, coming off huge wins over Texas Tech and TCU teams that they traditionally would never have beaten in the past, but had big wins for three. Now, I know Texas Tech and TCU, they'd be missing a few players that have, that have chosen to set out the year. So that does play a little bit of influence, but still taking nothing away from a great year for Iowa State. Ellie still had played a little bit in the three doubles lineup and that's featured sometimes in the singles lineup, but has not found herself in the lineup lately. Kiro Tool begin is again thriving at her new university, Sacred Heart. In the Northeast, they're one of the Northeast teams that actually have played a decent amount of tennis. Their team record is four and three. Kira seems to have done very good playing number one in the singles and number one doubles. And her singles record is currently three and three, which is very good at the top spot. Julie Burns team, again, huge year they're having 14 and two right now at the moment as a team. Uh, they're on a four match win streak in their conference, which is very hard to do in the Big Ten. Julie is currently ranked number 57, I believe, in the country. So that's our second ranked uh, Division One girl, which is great to see, and almost inside the top 50. So if she can keep that ranking like in around that, she should hopefully make what's called the NCA Individual Singles Tournament. And the NCA Singles Individual Tournament is something that you can make as, uh, as an individual uh, as well as making the team competition. And it occurs after the team competition at the end of the year. So fingers crossed that she gets to finish off her career at Northwestern playing in the NCA Tournament. Right. Uh, Jenny Timonen for, for Michigan State. Have not seen her featured again. She slipped into the lineup uh, there two weeks ago, but does seem to be back out of the lineup. Team is four and eight, but have had a couple of really tough matches. Michigan State plays in the same conference as Julie and have had a couple of really tight wins and a couple of tight losses. 
So it seems like the team is doing good, but uh, hopefully Jenny can keep pushing the line up there and if she does get in, have some success. Lucy Octave's team is doing very well. Xavier, 9-1 and one team record. Had a great win against Cincinnati, which I know is a rival for them because they're in, this, in a very similar part of the country and area and city. So uh, Lucy still has not been in the lineup that much. I know her record was 0-3 before uh, this week, but have not seen her play in the singles lineup lately. Uh, Laura Fitzgerald at Illinois State. Team has had a pretty good solid year, 11-7. They're just finishing off coming back from spring break. They actually had a nice win over there, St. Louis, on the way back. And so it seems like Laura has played some and has been out of the lineup for some. I don't think it's because she's not been in the lineup, but there's maybe been some something going on behind the scenes, maybe with some injuries or something like that. So, so that's that's it for the Division One girls. Let's go on to the Division Two in the NEI. Um, yeah. Great to see. That's another uh, player of the week for the second time, Annie McCulloch. That's her second time this year that she's had player of the week. But she also experienced after that was her first loss of the year. She lost to her first match of the year and uh, to the Queen's University, which is a, a very competitive Division II university in, in Charlotte. Very good academic university. And um, so they actually lost her. Uh, Annie lost her singles and doubles against them. But uh, Caitlin was able to win her singles at number three position. Emer Mars team doing fantastic this year. 5-0 and record right now at the moment. They're just coming off a really close match with Lise McRae. Lise McRae, Emer played number two and had a huge win, 7-6 in, in the third in the match. 7-6 uh, in the third set to, to not win the fourth point, to win the match for the team, but that was a huge part of, of equaling up the match at 3-all for her one of her teammates to take the victory 4-3. Nice. Uh, Emily Conley continues to do really well at Indiana Wesleyan, which is an NEI university that are top 10 in the country. She's actually been consistently now in the lineup, playing at that four, five, and six spot. Her singles record is four and two and four and one in doubles. The team is overall 22 and three uh, in their record. So they've played a ton of matches. One of the huge advantages about NAIA is they don't fall under the same rules as division one. They have a much more looser rules on how many matches they can play. So if you notice, like people like Mark Griffin School and Emily Connolly School, which are NAIA schools, they're playing tons and tons of tennis. So great to see her in the lineup, uh, making a huge impact and winning a lot of tennis matches. Great stuff. Great stuff. And I guess a, a, a final note is, is those coaches that we have. What, what action has been going on over there? So, yeah, Garrick Lavin at Miami. Uh, team is ranked 50 currently at the moment. Uh, they're just coming off a huge win against South Florida. South Florida, I believe, are ranked in the, the low 30s. So that should bump their ranking up. It seems like Miami have had a very up and down season. They've had a couple of losses that you wouldn't have expected them to have and then had some huge wins that you wouldn't have expected them to have. So hopefully they can find some good form and they'll find themselves in the NCAA tournament if they can kind of break maybe into like the more the, the low 40s. Peter Wright's team at Proud Berkeley still have not played any tennis. Not sure what's going on there. Maybe they've chosen a long break or they've decided to postpone things a little bit longer and um, have not seen a lot of tennis matches. And then Peter Fleming uh, from Montana, that's the volunteer coach there with Oshin Shafri. Team is obviously, we talked about Oshin struggling with a three and eight record. They're just coming off tough losses to Portland and Portland State. But it was great to see Oshin actually have uh, individual victories in those matches. Great stuff. Now, uh, I will be keeping an eye out for, for that for Cal Berkeley, hopefully, if they, they get some action going. And, and just then a couple of, of final updates on, on some of the pro action. Firstly, Simon Carr has... Uh, since our last episode, he's played the last two weeks in Tunisia uh, with a, a singles quarterfinal and a doubles semifinal in there. 
And, and as we speak now, he's actually on course in doubles in India, where uh, this week he's playing singles and doubles. So uh, best of luck to Simon for, for this week's action. Other action um, in, in qualifying action, all in Tunisia for Dan O'Neill, Kian Maguire, Dorian Koss and Amar Alamin have all been playing in Tunisia in, uh, and got into draws there, which is great to see. Uh, and similarly for Preston Connor in Egypt has been playing a, a, a good bit of, of, of tennis over the last few weeks and, and couple of months. And finally, for Celine Simoniu and Anna Cheriko have, have been playing uh, J1 or uh, grade one ITF junior events, which is, which is the, the, the top grade of, of ITF junior events. And they've both been, been playing in, in those draws last week and, and getting some good experience. So good to see for those girls and everyone there playing some, some pro action. It's good to see action still going on. So that's about it for those updates. Anything else you'd like to add, Mark? No, just great to see, you know, people taking that that step to go and travel internationally right now. I said it's 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 brave and it's and it, it's it's to be admired because there's just so little going on here. So great to see well done to those people traveling. Absolutely. And, and I guess that that's about us for for this time, Mark. So a big thanks and, and see you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Adam. And now here is Dave Mullins with a bit of explanation and context on the U.S. college tennis system. All right, Dave, I appreciate you you're coming on just to explain a few things to me. And I just want to start by, by asking, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit of a, some, some context for, for all this college tennis results. So just, I guess, explain firstly a little bit of the, how the season structure goes. What happens at different points in the, this kind of the, the school year for college tennis? Mm-hmm. Well, if you start at the beginning of the academic year, which is typically the end of August, so you have the teams come back or you know new players coming in whatever it is they're probably starting classes the last week of august they're in what's called the uh, eight hour weeks where they're able to just do one-on-one sessions with their their coaches and they're able to be doing some conditioning getting their their body prepared for for what's to come so a lot of teams will be maybe in those eight hour weeks uh, meaning they can only do eight hours with their coaches and strength and conditioning coaches they can do whatever they want the rest of the time with their teammates or on their own uh, but they can't have that coach supervision and so that will usually go about three or four weeks and then they'll start the autumn season what we call the the fall season here in america around the end of september so college events will start happening maybe around september 20th or so and the individual season will run from say September 20th to maybe November 15th. So it's a, it's a pretty short season, but uh, teams are usually trying to pack in maybe three, four, five tournaments, and they're all individual tournaments for the most part. Um, you don't have the traditional, this you know University X playing University Y in a dual match. It's just you and me playing in a, in a draw and usually guaranteed matches. So even if you lose, you know there's a compass draw, so you're probably playing four or five matches and doubles matches throughout the weekend. And the way we have it structured depending on the division. So we have regional tournaments uh, so that the the teams from every region get to compete against one another. And then the winners of those events, the division one level go on to the ITA fall national championships in November. And we crown kind of the individual uh, fall champion. And we also have uh, the ITA small colleges where the other divisions Again, if they win their region, they go in to draw and play against the best players in their division. So it's really an opportunity for players to work on their individual ranking, work on developing their game, work on getting used to the college life in general if they're new to it. So that's the fall. Um, 
most of them will get about a month off for their Christmas break, come back in January, and then they start the dual match season, which is really probably the, the product most people are familiar with. And you have six, three doubles and then six singles and very exciting, a lot of energy. And that's really what the coaches are held account to is their results in that season. And so typically they're playing anywhere from 18 to maybe 27 matches, depending on the school and, and how they get on that year. You have 25 dates that a coach can use between their fall season and their spring season, their dual match season. And the end of the season is uh, usually the last week of April where you culminate in your conference championship. And uh, that's a big deal at division one, again, which most people are familiar with. There's 30 conferences on the men's side, 31 on the women's side, anywhere from six to 16 teams in each conference. So coaches are really trying to do the best they can, win their conference. That's a big deal. If they win their conference, they get automatic qualification into the NCA tournament, which is in May. Um, if you don't win your conference, you can get in as what they call an at-large bid. So usually if you're maybe top 40 to 42 in the national rankings and the ITA rankings, you will get a, a spot in the NCA tournament, which again, everybody's working towards trying to, depending on the, the school's goals, obviously the top programs are, are trying to win it. Uh, other schools are just excited to, to be in the first round and get a crack against one of the top teams. Yeah, okay. So the, the, this NCA tournament that you're talking about, this takes place at the end of the year. And mm -hmm. is the rest of the season, is that kind of deciding who gets to play in this event and, and leading up to that route? Exactly. It really is. I mean, the there's also NCA singles and doubles uh, at Division One, Division Three. So you've got players that have been working on their ranking in the fall and obviously getting credit for their wins and losses in the in the spring as well. But they're making their way towards the individual tournament, which happens after the team event uh, in May in the same location. So, but yes, that that's really kind of the the holy grail right now. Uh, we have March Madness going on, which is the basketball tournament. And the tennis tournament's very similar, 64 teams, you know, regional play the first couple of rounds. Then you meet this year because of COVID, uh, all the teams will come together for the round of 16 onwards. But in the last few years, that's actually been changed to the to just the quarterfinals onwards and then the singles and doubles tournament after that. And how long is, is the NCA tournament at the end of the year? Yeah, it's a lot of controversy around that. A lot of people feel like it's it's a little bit too long. If you've uh, one year, I had uh, the team made the quarterfinals of the NCA tournament, and then we had a, a doubles team win the NCA event. I was there for 15 days, so it's it can be a long, long, long two weeks, especially when you're still in in uh, those schools that are on the quarter system that go through June. I mean, some of those athletes are missing two weeks of of uh, programming, which is which is a big deal. That's a lot of school to miss. So there's been some debate around should we try and move the individual tournament to the end of the fall and just keep the spring all about the the team event and the dual match and have that run for you know five or six days at the most, maybe with the rain day built in. Yeah. Okay. And just a, a final kind of point, I was wondering is is I hear this word a lot, conference. So is it, is, mm -hmm. is that purely based on on region and and that's deciding on who you're playing with it within a conference or, or how does that fit in? Yeah, traditionally the conferences were done more regionally and then there's a huge, I guess, investment in TV money, especially into basketball and football. And they started redrawing a lot of the conferences and that's still ongoing. So if you're part of one of the, what they call the power five conferences, 
the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC or the ACC. That's where all the football and basketball, not all of it, but a huge chunk of it goes to. And so a lot of programs are vying to try and be in one of those conferences. And if you take the Big 12 conference, which I coached in geographically, a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense. You've got um, University of Texas, that's in Austin, Texas. And then you've got West Virginia on, on the other side of the country. That's a long flight. That's an expensive flight. It makes sense for football, uh, makes sense for basketball, but maybe it doesn't make sense for tennis or soccer or golf. And so again, there's a lot of discussion right now around should, you know, do conferences, are conferences even necessary for, for non-revenue sports? And should it be done more on a regional basis? But as the the model sits right now. Um, yeah, you've got these conferences, you've got a big geographic spread. Some of them, some of the conferences, you do have to play your other conference opponents, either home or away. So if we play home this year, we're away next year. And you let's say there's 11 teams in your conference. So you play 10 matches in conference, and then you play them in a conference tournament as well. So those 11 teams are then playing the conference tournament and it's just knockout and uh, last, last team standing is the winner. So the conferences, yes, it's, it's, and I don't want to say there, I mean, some of them are make sense geographically and, and some of them don't. So it is something that uh, everybody's looking at right now, whether it's the NCA, whether it's the USOPC, whether it's the ITA, I, I think there's, there's some shifts there that might come in, in the years uh, ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. And just my, my final question for now is, so just to, to, to put into, into context all the, the results that kind of Mark is, is touching on in these episodes of, of the Irish players. So the results going on the last, say, month, the next maybe month to come. All, all of these, what's the big significance of these results? Is this totally for NCA tournaments? What exactly is, is the significance of, of these matches ongoing at the moment? Well, the ITA, which is the organization I work for, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, we are responsible for ranking. So we're one of, I think we might be the only college coaches association that runs rankings uh, for the, the sport. And the NCAA actually takes our rankings and does their draw based on our rankings. So the rankings are a big deal for coaches because especially in recruiting, uh, you know, so again, we'll take the division one level. If you've got 250 schools, and you're 67 and the other team, the person's looking at is 107. Well, they might think, oh, well, this team's higher ranked. They must be the better team or better coach. That's not always the case. It just depends on the year, obviously. But everybody is working towards uh, having the highest ranking they possibly can. Some won't play in the NCAA tournament. Most of them won't play in the NCAA tournament, but they definitely want to keep their ranking as high as it can and, and every match counts towards their their ranking and, and even you know there's within the algorithm things like road wins and top 10 wins and things like that are weighted more heavily and so we traditionally start the season with a, a coaches poll so the coaches decide you know we have a subcommittee that gets together and works through the various different teams and who are the new players who are the players that they've lost and come up with a coaches poll but probably typically around february we move over to the, the computer rankings. And with COVID this year, just not as many matches have been played. So we've been a little delayed on that, but actually tomorrow, the first computer rankings will come out. And um, usually by the end of the season, when they're getting ready to pick the NCAA draw, it's extremely accurate. And uh, that algorithm has been refined over the last several years, continues to get better. But I think we're very happy and our coaches are very happy with where it's at right now. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Uh, a big thanks again, Dave. I, I do appreciate getting this this bit of context and explanation. And uh, yeah, th thanks for hopping on and, and hope all is well with you. And with that, a huge thanks to Mark and to Dave for their time for this episode. And thanks for listening. Please do share this around. I think it's really important. It's really great to, to give all these players the recognition that they do deserve for all the great stuff they're doing. So please do share this around if, if you did find it uh, useful. Also, if you have any other questions about the US college tennis system, anything else that you're wondering that you'd, you'd like to know, please do reach out um, and let me know your questions and I can talk to Dave again. We can get some more answers. If there's anything you're wondering, uh, please do let me know. And with that, that's all for this episode. We will see you next time and goodbye. <laughs>